Hello and welcome. Welcome back. Yay. To part two of the Empress. Part two. So we have a new cocktail. We do. What are we drinking this time? Obviously, again, we're using the Empress gin because why the heck not? It's delicious and nutritious. It Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I still have a whole lot to tell you about Catherine the Great. Who she's not the great yet. She's Catherine the second. Pardon me. This drink is gorgeous. It's literally just a gin and tonic, but it's one of the prettiest things I've ever seen. Yes, we are drinking an Empress gin and tonic. So we got um, basically an ounce and a half of Empress gin, some tonic water, and lime juice. Squeeze a lime. Yep, squeeze a lime. So we put them in. Okay, daughter number one has really gotten into college sweatshirts, but she can't buy the college sweatshirt new. She has to find it at a thrift store. It's a, it's a cute little hobby. Yes. She has like over 30. It's getting out of hand. But so we go to thrift stores whenever we go anywhere, often to um, places for daughter number two's gymnastic meets. So we're in Palo Alto, California, you know, wealthy people town, mm-hmm. and went to the thrift store. Um, we were went to the thrift store and I found, I saw these goblets and they were really pretty. So I picked them up. Got child number one, two to come over with her good eyes and look at the bottom for a watermark. Ting didn't listen to it, and they were Waterford Crystal goblets that I paid $2 a piece for. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> They're really pretty, and I'm very excited that we finally gotten to use them. Yeah, it's amazing the things that I have found. I've also found two pieces that go to this very obscure, random... I think I have three pieces from my grandmother of... Just like serving bowls and serving dishes and things. And I found two pieces that match that set. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I buy them when I find them. Anyway, can we try our gin and yes, tonic? Yes, I want to. So what was really interesting, too, is the gin is purple. And then when you put the tonic into it, it turns like rose. Yes. It's kind of turning purplish back. It is turning purplish back, which is weird. I do like a good gin and tonic. I've never been a huge fan of a gin and tonic, but I like this. I do. I think I like this gin. This might be my gin. I think that... Just because normally we use like more of a dry gin and this is more of a botanical gin. Uh-huh. So it's probably a different taste for you. Yes. It's completely different taste. It doesn't taste like the typical gin. I like it. I will be drinking this. for sure. So I'm going to continue to tell you about Our Lady Catherine. So just a super quick catch up. Um, her name was Sophie. She married Peter. Peter was awful. She... With the help of her lover, Gregory Orlov, and his brother, overthrew Peter in a completely bloodless coup, and he died of hemorrhoids. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) So now he, she's empress. He didn't really die of hemorrhoids. You know, he was probably killed. But anyway, so she holds a grand coronation in Moscow on September 22nd, 1762. She invites all of Russia's powerful people. She invites all of the um, important ambassadors and people from Europe and she has a week-long celebration of grand events this is where she says this is Russia it's grand I'm in charge get used to it so did she kind of develop this whole palace lifestyle in Russia yes yes she brought Russia into the 19th century she made them an imperial power Um, eventually she um, brought the enlightenment ideas and ideals education all kinds of stuff. She brought Russia out. Um, she had a special crown made that I did not go into detail of what the crown stood for, but there were different sections of the crown that stood for different things. Um, it had a roses made out of pearls. It had a massive, massive ruby that was surrounded by a diamond-encrusted Orthodox cross. It was absolutely beautiful. Well, that so, part I get. Yeah, so that's why I had you put out that thing for the picture. Yeah. So look at the Facebook page for the picture of this drink to get that what we're talking about. Obviously, that's not the crown, but look up the crown. Clearly not. Yeah. The Catherine made a her tradition made the now traditional visit to Ivan. Um, she says, "Yeah, leave him in prison with the same orders. If he tries to get out, kill him. If somebody tries to get him out, kill him." Well, by this time, though, he literally knows nothing else. Yeah, he knows nothing else. That has been his entire life. He has sat in a prison cell. She's starting to undo a lot of the things that Peter had done during his six-month reign. She, however, took a look at the church land policy and 
the books and Russia was broke, like broke, broke. So she decided that the, the church land would help. So she discussed with the leaders of the church that she didn't understand how it was morally right for them to own this much land and have this much money when they are not help using it to help the poor. And so she would like to keep the land so that she can use the money to help the poor. So she did that. So this now makes all of the serfs on the church land, I've not talked about serfs yet, but I will. All of the serfs on the church land, peasants. So now, not only do they work for the crown and give money to the crown, but now that they're free, they can pay taxes. Oh, I was like, yes. what's her, okay. So I'm sure that they were all like, hey, thanks for the freedom and all, but we got no money. They didn't sound like that, but. <laughs> but I know you sounded a little Italian. <laughs> have no money. We got no money. <laughs> so the church leaders are now all employed by the state and the serfs are now peasants that have to pay taxes. She really wants to help the serfs. The serfs are essentially slaves. Um, they have to perform whatever work they are assigned, whatever job you decide that your serf is going to do. There were, there were serfs who, for their entire lives, their job was to stand by this door and open it when someone walks up to it. Um, wow. Yes. Um, serfs could be bought, sold, left to someone in their will. They could be gambled away. Um, it was illegal to kill a serf, but if you beat them so bad they died from their injuries, well, oh well. So it's illegal to beat them to death, but it's not illegal to kill them? I guess. Yeah. Splitting hairs wise. Yeah. You could beat them so that they would die as long as they were still breathing when you walked away. Gotcha. Yeah. Um... But she, by this point too, the Industrial Revolution is starting to not get gung-ho, but things are happening and companies could own serfs. That's weird. Yes. Well, I mean, other first world countries that I'm not going to name kind of do that now. <laughs> <laughs> are they a first world country? I don't, they think they're a first world country. Ugh. And yep. I'm not talking about Canada. We love Canadians. Oh, Canada. Canada. Uh, we also love South Africa. Or South Africa loves us. Yes. We're excited. Very big in South Africa. So anyway, she wants to free the serfs. Um, however, they would have no money to pay taxes if they were peasants. And the land-holding nobility, the ones who own the serfs, the ones who need the serfs to make the money to pay the taxes, are also the people that make sure she still is in power. So can't piss them off. Um, in 1767, she writes out all of her ideas and plans for Russia. She calls it the Nikaz, and she sends it out to her legislature. Does that mean something? Did I, you see that? I, I don't, don't know. Because I'm curious, like... Yeah, I could have researched that, and I probably should have. Another thing did say that it, said, it, that it meant, um, or that it was called important thoughts from Catherine the Great or something like that, but she wasn't called Catherine the Great yet. Maybe it was an acronym like everybody uses now for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Education is horrible about using acronyms. Everything is an acronym. Yeah, law enforcement is pretty bad as well. Although a lot of it, like, I don't think they purposely create, like, creative acronyms. Uh -huh. It just, you just start calling it a word that kind of resembles the letters. Oh. <laughs> so it's not like they're like, let's make a cute acronym. They're like, well, this is the blah diddy blah diddy blah. We'll just call it the bubble. The bubble. That's <laughs> funny. I can't think of any from education, but they're really like, people will be talking about these things. And, and I was out of education for 10 years. So there were meetings that I was in. I'm like, what's such and such? Because I had no idea. So like one that we use a lot is Kletz. And so that's California Law Enforcement Telecommunication System. I was say, I've heard of that. Yeah. So, like, it's just thrown around. And there's plenty of others like that. But it's, like, not like they're purposely trying to make a cute acronym. Yeah. You better make sure you don't mispronounce that. If your F sounds like an I, yeah, you're in trouble. Well, the new one that's coming around is, um, the new one that's coming around is Nibers, which is <laughs> National... <laughs> I don't even know what it stands for, but it's basically a national crime reporting statistic, uh -huh. something or other. So it's like 
I'm like, nibbers? Nibbers? I don't... <laughs> but I've l- since learned it's nibbers. Nibbers. But the California one, because they have to be clever, is cybers. It sounds cooler. Oh, that does sound cool. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like you could accidentally say nipples. No. <laughs> so, anyway, she's got this set of things that she wants to do. These are not laws. These are just ideas that she has. She wants to promote the common good. She wants to have government ruled by the principle that people are innocent. Until Her thousand guilty. points of light. Her thousand points of light. She wants to have people thought of as innocent before until they're proven guilty. She wants to make the serfs people. Wow. Right? That's it's, pretty progressive. It's it's very progressive. And people thought it was insane. They so were like losing like their freaking minds. The Bernie Sanders? Like, is she that out there yes. to them? The French banned copies of this to be printed and distributed because they were afraid it would cause a revolution. Wow. So she's very progressive. She's very progressive. Um, however... Her ideas are grand and they're exciting. And as soon as she kind of gets them out, war breaks out with the Ottomans. And it's kind of like, what ideas did you have? Because <laughs> we're at war now. <laughs> war has a way of bringing things down. It does. So one of the things that she really wanted to do that she did do was she wanted to talk to people from all walks of life to find out what they needed and what they wanted. And then make laws according to what they needed. So she doesn't invite the serfs. Because they're not people yet. They're not people yet, yeah. They're nine-tenths of the population of her country. But they're not people yet. So, but she, they all come to the palace and they show up and they have no idea what they're doing. They're completely unprepared to come and present to government. They don't know why they're there. Right, they're just summoned there and then they get there and it's like, what kind of laws do you need? And they're like, what? Yes. So they, um... Some of them had never been involved in government before. Some of them who had been involved in government before were positive that this was a trap and that they were there to be tricked into saying something bad and they would be killed. Yeah, that that seems to happen. Yes. So they spend the first few meetings trying to decide what honorific to call Catherine. Meanwhile, she's like hand to face emoji, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God. So they finally settle on Catherine the Great, which just barely beat out... Catherine, the all-wise mother of the fatherland. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Can you imagine having to teach seventh graders about Catherine, the all-wise mother of the fatherland? I'm super glad Catherine the Great won. It's so yes. much easier to say, spell, yes. it remember. It would actually be tenth graders, but yeah. yeah. Um, so Catherine is infuriated. This is not what she wanted. She finally gets them across, gets across to them what she wants. Because they couldn't read the Nikahs, most of them couldn't read, and they didn't understand the Enlightenment principles and philosophies that she well, was trying to get across. Well, they weren't reading Voltaire. They were not reading Voltaire, and she was writing on that level. So then they start arguing. The merchants argue that they want to be treated like nobles and respected, and the nobles argue that they want to be allowed to sell things like the merchants. And then the peasants are like, hey, my neighbor's cow keeps stepping on my land. Can we make a law about that? Yeah. Seems right. That seems, like I said, time and time again, people never change. People never change. So she finally just like throws up her hands and goes, okay, whatever. I'll just do it myself. So, like I said earlier, meanwhile, war. Um, The Orlov brothers are there and she knows that she's got to keep them happy. She gives them titles and land and serfs for helping put her on the throne. She was assumed that Gregory probably thought that she was going to marry him and make him emperor, but... Um, she was too smart for that. They did have potentially a son prior to Peter's death. Um, and I think that is the baby that she gets to raise. Is that, so he, that son is attributed to being Peter's son. Right. Because he was still alive at the time. Now he was mentioned in maybe one of the documentaries that I've listened to and watched. So I don't know. Um, so she's awarding people with, you know, blah, blah, blah. She has lots of lovers. She keeps them happy with titles and land. She actually, at one point, was a, had a young man who she made king of Poland. Oh, wow. <laughs> Until he decides to get greedy and wants to take some more land. And so Poland and Russia and, or not Poland, um, Prussia and Russia and somebody else all come together and they just sort of divide Poland up a little bit by little bit by little bit until it's all gone. Um, and I didn't talk about that too much because got to cut some things out. 
1763, Gregory Potemkin, who is the guy who ripped his mm-hmm. sword thing off, he just wants it. He wants to be in part of the inner circle. So he's hanging out at court. He's in the... He's like, the, hey, remember me? Yeah. He's in the room, and he, he wants to be accepted with the big boys. So one day he's playing pool with the Orlovs. The Orlovs don't want him accepted with the big boys. And he's playing pool, and they they beat him up. They beat him at pool, and they beat him up. But he he made her, like, he gave her that extra oomph to be. Yes. And they actually end up putting out his left eye, and he goes away for a little bit. He'll come back, but he goes away for a little bit. Poor guy. Yeah. It's kind of sad. On July 4th, 1764, um, a soldier who spent some time guarding Ivan started putting two and two together. He's like, hey, nameless prisoner number one. I wonder. And so he finds out who he was, and he starts a plot to rescue him and put him on the throne instead of Catherine. He writes proclamations and posts them up all over all these little villages. and It's like a reverse wanted poster. Kind of, yeah. And so then he gets his little band together, and he goes up to free Ivan, and he finds Ivan was just murdered by his guards (gasps) because they did what Catherine said. Yes, if they somebody did. comes to break him out, you kill him. So now she's like, okay, whew, one of them's gone. I don't need to worry about that rightful ruler of Russia. Who, There's still the one that I gave birth to. Yeah, but probably wouldn't have wanted to leave prison anyway. No, hell no. Like that's the only place he's ever lived that yeah. he remembers. He's got to be in his 30s by now. Yeah, because he was 21 at the whatever yeah. point that. So, um, Russia is 6 million square miles at the time. Russia is 6 million square miles and has 19 million people. Um, huge. But she knows that rulers are judged on bringing, rulers in Russia anyway, are judged on getting more territory. So, there's some little skirmishes going along the border with the Ottomans. And this is the one that stopped the Nakaz. In 1768, these border skirmishes turn into a full-fledged war. Russia wants to expand into the Black Sea to open up a trade route to Europe. That was something Peter the Great couldn't even do. And if she can do that, this will completely, like, legitimize her um, legacy. So then she could reward people with more money, more land, and get more taxes. So, but the peasants are getting annoyed. They're like, we have been at war so much. Um, in May of 1770, the Russian fleet sails all the way around Europe, completely traps the Turks in the Bay of Chesney, and Orlov, her boyfriend, is leading one of these ships. They completely crush the Turks with incendiary bombs. He commands the troops to keep going, press on. They they win. They get this big naval victory. Um, they, it opens up ports in the Mediterranean for them to be able to trade with. In much needed money, this is what she needed. And then she also becomes protector of Orthodox Christians living in the Ottoman territory. Oh, interesting. Because that's important to her. Yeah. Um, and this adds 520,000 square kilometers of territory to Russia. I have no idea how big that is. I don't either, but it sounds like a lot. It's, it's, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> um, in Catherine's anteroom in one of her castles, I apparently didn't write down which one, but anyway, she this is where she's going to receive foreign diplomats. She won't even remember by this time. Probably anyway. not. She commissions a set of 12 paintings to be painted about this naval battle. So Jacob Philip Hackert is commissioned to do these. He paints these pictures, and she looks at him and she's like, there's something off. I don't, I just don't know what it is. And he apologizes. He says, I'm sorry, Empress. I've never seen an explosion. I don't know what one looks like to paint it. So he's just winging it? Winging it. Oh my God. In 12 paintings for Catherine the Great. So Catherine says, oh, okay. So she orders cannons to be filled on, 60 cannons to be filled on her ships and sets them out and sets off explosions so that he can see what it looks like. He says it was the most expensive model he's ever used. So she and Gregory Orlov are together for 13 years, um, but he is a soldier. He's an adventurer. He's not interested in the Enlightenment ideas. He's not interested in um, discussion and talking. He's an adventurer. He wants to go out and, and do danger. Um, he was always setting off on one journey or another. In 17, in January, or in 1774, he purchased a 
200 carat. 200 carat what? Golf ball sized diamond. Oh my god. Um, called the Orlov diamond in the in the Russian crown jewel still. It was rumored to be the eye of a Brahmin, of an idol in a Brahmin temple. So a, a French person stole it and he bought it from him in Madra. So it's still the Russian crown jewels. It's gorgeous. Um, so Orlov is an adventurer. He wants to play. He he gets sent off on this diplomatic mission, which he fails. So strike one. And then she finds out that he's cheating. So strike two. So Orlov is out. She gets a new lover. She calls him the most boring man in all of Russia. At least he's not Peter. <laughs> right. Um, so she's hanging with the boring dude, and in comes Gregory Potemkin. Oh. Our dashing he soldier. He does make his way he back. He does make his way back. Our dashing soldier. Because he's got, like, st- she's, like, kicking it with Stanley sitting on the easy chairs every night. <laughs> and she's bored. She wants someone that she can talk with. So they are perfectly suited for one another. He's smart. He's a thinker. He can keep company with the common people, all classes, all religions, and converse with her. He's the total package. He actually, he's the love of her life, and he actually gets to participate in government a little bit with her. There's rumors that they were secretly married. I wonder if he's like, if he had like the love at first sight from like the very beginning. From the very beginning? I don't know. That would be very cool to find out. Gregory, if you're listening, call us. Yes. Um, from your phone in your tomb of the phone that you've never had because <laughs> they didn't exist they didn't exist so they rumored to have gotten married but they kept it secret he there was also speculation that they had a daughter hmm. but because her husband had been dead for over she a dozen couldn't years, have a daughter no so the baby had to be raised by other people probably gregory's mom probably would that be nice um, he, however, he was smart and could keep up with her, but he's also jealous and he would throw fits about old lovers if they would talk to her. And he was very frustrated that he was never going to have the power that she was and she was always going to be more important than him. Well, he should have thought about that before he decided to have a relationship with her. Right? If you're going to screw the Empress you of all Russia. You hand the sword and then you cry about it? Yep. Yep. I think there's a lot of men like that. Yeah. It, it seems to be a recurring theme with powerful women. Um, so he, together, though, they made this fabulous pair. They took Crimea. They took over Georgia. Um, Potemkin was actually given an area to rule, and he did great. But he eventually becomes ill and passes away, and she's absolutely devastated. By that time, though, he had passed off the sword of the bedroom. <laughs> He stayed with her in um, ruling, and they stayed together as a political entity, but he left her bedroom, and it just kind of worked better that way. Because like then the, he could stop the Like the, the Clintons. Like the oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Secret Service is going to come after you. Hillary, don't kill me. <laughs> so in all of the wars, there's these wars and things that are going on. There's a group of Russians that live kind of on the outskirts of Russia called the Cossacks. Do you remember that story that you read in ninth grade English about the most dangerous game? I the... do remember the most dangerous game. Like normally when you say like, don't you remember this thing that you read in high school? I'm like, no. I only know it because I read it, you know, once a year, I every feel year like for my, multiple years. My English classes weren't traditional. Like, I don't know. I never... I didn't read you all the stuff. You never taught The Most Dangerous Game? No. Oh, I loved The Most Dangerous Game. But... <laughs> but I, I do know that one. You know that story? Yeah. So in this story, there is a um, nobleman, and he has a Cossack guard. And the description of the Cossack in the story is just wonderful. And I really like this drink. I want to stop talking so I can drink it. Um, but anyway, so there's a group of Russians called the Cossacks, and they're very independent. They just want to live their lives. They don't, they're really getting tired of getting drafted into these wars. And there's this one young Cossack who is um, Yemelyan Pachenkev. Or, yeah, I guess that's it. Pachenkev. Yep, we're going to go with that. Pachenkev. He gets drafted when he's just 18. He just got married. He had to leave his new bride. 
In the course of that first campaign, he gets beaten by his superior officer for failing to prevent a horse theft. He hates the military, and by the time he's fighting in the Ottoman War, he's 30. This is his third war. Oh my gosh. He's over it. He's done. So... The soldiers are not treated well. They're beaten. Um, Sometimes they would split their noses open for disobedience so that the scar, it not only hurt you, but there's a visible scar. Oh, you were disobedient. It's not hidden on their back. It's right there on their face. Um, So he's getting fed up with this. So he deserts his unit. He roams around for a little bit. And then pretty soon he walks into this little village and he says, I'm Catherine the Great's dead husband, Peter the Third. He what? This is like a soap opera. Yes. So he claims to be the true czar of Russia and that people need to follow him. He says that he was deposed because he was just about to sign a law to free all the serfs. He's like, you want to see my hemorrhoids? Yes. He says that this sword that he was carrying was a gift from his grandfather, Peter the Great. He shows them the scars on his back and he says, this is where they beat me when I wouldn't leave. And it was all a dream. (laughs) So he um, he promises people that if they will back him to go take Catherine down, he will have he will wipe out taxes, he will give them freedom of religion, he will free all the serfs, and everything will be hunky dory. They just need to back him and take out Catherine. So he's actually the Bernie. He's the Bernie. Well, no, he's the liar. I know, but <laughs> he's fake. I'm just trying to figure out like who these people are in today's political right. scene. I don't know who she would be because you're going to find out she changes her tune at the end of her life. People mostly get more conservative. She's the Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because he actually was fairly conservative when he Yeah, but he he got more liberal as he went, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, so she's the opposite. She's very liberal and she gets more conservative as she goes. Well, whoever she is. Whoever she is. She's somebody. Um, So he's Bernie. So Bernie, he's getting followers along the way. He ends up taking a fortress in Ilsnik, which is a thousand miles away from where Catherine is. So they have no idea. They're just going along their war. So they don't even really know that he's basically just declared himself the czar. Yeah. There's always peasant skirmishes. This is no big deal. And they don't even, they've not even heard of it yet. So he sets himself up a little makeshift court there in Iliac. He hands out punishments to the nobles. He has people killed. He has women raped. He has buildings burned. He's just running this little area like a despot. Yeah, he's like a mob boss. Yes, he is a mob boss. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. He's, what's his name? It's buried in Giant Stadium. Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. So it gets really Supposedly. nasty. Supposedly. Supposedly, <laughs> yeah. Um, mob people don't kill us. He, he... They take, put down one revolt because they're sending people out now. They know that they're there. So they put down one revolt and it pops up somewhere else. He continues to take military targets and get more weapons. Like, he's smart. He's not dumb. Um, eventually, Catherine's soldiers go to his village and they get his wife. They get Patenka's wives and children. And they parade them out. They're like, he can't be Peter because when he was fathering this child, he would have had to have been in Russia. This is not true. People don't care. They're like, Pachanka, Pachanka. They love him. So, um, he, he's doing this and Catherine says, give me Gregory Pachemkin. He was in the Turkish front. Come back. Help me with this. Figure this out for me. I need your help. So, he's a brilliant military strategist. He comes back. This is when they start their, um, little hanky-panky love affair, um, at this point. And again, secretly married, rumors, blah, blah, blah. He suggests that they make peace to end the war, and then they can have more soldiers to put down this revolt. Um, They send troops out to the area of Kaza along the Volga River, and this is where they absolutely put it down. On July 11th, 1774, they meet Pachenkov, and he has an army of 30,000 people. Oh, wow. People are taking him seriously. Because they're afraid to be killed. Yeah, probably. Par- partially, I'm sure. Um, the rebels completely looted and plundered the city of Kazan for two days. Again, killed, burned, raped, 
nobles your toast. Um, their goal was to get to the citadel, which is in the center of the city, to get a massive store of weapons and supplies. Um, and if they succeed, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to Moscow, and they can really cause problems. They can be a real threat. Uh, they aren't able to take the garrison. It's Catherine's soldiers actually led by um, lover boy. Potemkin. Potemkin. Too many P names. Hold him back and Pugachev retreats. Catherine is afraid to step into Moscow until he's captured. So she puts a 10,000 ruble price on his head and the Cossacks lead the search to find him. Oh, wow. And his own people are the ones that capture him. On September 15th... See, because he was ruling by fear. Yeah. So they were like, ah, never mind. Never mind. You're not good. Um, He was captured on September 15th, 1774. He was tried... It was a year after he started his rebellion. He was tried and convicted, and he was set to be drawn and quartered. But Catherine... Yes. Catherine wanted to show mercy, so she said, first you're going to behead him. Um, completely, not just partially, till he's almost dead, but completely dead. So that was her way of showing mercy. However, they still took his body, um, draw, and had it drawn and quartered, burned it, and scattered his ashes to the wind. The landlords that have been affected by this come down hard on their serfs. They punish them mercilessly. Anybody who supported the rebel get the rebel rebellion gets just boom. And Catherine hates this. Well, like I said, some of them, it wasn't really a choice for them. They yeah. had to get, go along to get along. Or they would be killed. But then now they're being killed because they didn't want to be killed. Yeah. So as a comp, she really wants to free the serfs. This is a common theme throughout her entire reign. I want to free these people. I want to free these people. But she knows she can't. So as a compromise, she orders the nobles to declare to give amnesty she declares forgiveness and amnesty for all those who participates and that finally ends the violence so meanwhile in the capital back at the ranch <laughs> um, a wave of smallpox comes through oh no and people are freaking out because Catherine has never had smallpox paul has never had smallpox they even actually say how can paul rule us if he's never had recovered from smallpox because he could die at any time he can't possibly be our ruler so, Catherine has lost so many people to this disease. She's deathly afraid of it, but she wants to face it like an Enlightenment thinker, like she is. So, she sends to Great Britain for a doctor to come and inoculate her. This she brand gets a new science. vaccine. She gets a vaccine. This brand spanking new science um, that they in take the 1700s. In the 1700s, they take a part of the dead virus and they put it on your body like they literally would create a wound on your body and smear it with smallpox oh wow so um she sets this all up and she tells the doctor that she has a relay of horses set up so that he can get out of town quickly should something go wrong and she dies because he'll die too he will die yes So it was very risky, crazy idea. People thought she was absolutely insane. Um, but she gets a couple of pustules, little fever, a little bit of body aches, and then she's fine. She had a vaccine. Yes. So then she immediately inoculates Paul. People see that this is working and okay. So the entire court lines up to get inoculated. She sets up inoculation stations all throughout the capital. Complete turnaround. By the time she died, two million Russians had been inoculated against smallpox. Oh, wow. Yeah, huge. Um, She rules for 21 more years. She adds reforms and schools and territory. She opened schools for orphans, hospitals for the poor. She encouraged girls to get an education. Well, I mean, thank goodness for her, but at the same time, it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, I know it's... It's the 1700s. It was a big thing then. Yeah. Um, She instituted local land reforms. She told the police that they could just not oppress people. They had to actually help people and do things like, you know, put down the bad guys instead of helping the bad guys. Oh, so do their job. Right. Um, She wanted to... She's 
she wanted to map Russia. She wanted to see what it looked like. So she's having a conversation with these ministers about this particular city that's kind of in a faraway place. And she says, well, where is this city? Where is it located? Show me. And the man says, well, I don't know. He doesn't even know how to show her. No. So she says, fine, send a servant out to buy a map. Servant comes back with a map. She spreads the map out. Where is it? The map makers don't know. They have like, it reminded me of the maps of um, the United States that Thomas Jefferson was yeah. looking at. There was just like huge territories when it said wilderness. So she organized people to map her country. Um, she loved writing and thinking. She loved philosophy. She had a friendship. All those philosophers that she was reading when she was stuck in bed, she now has correspondence with. Friendships with them. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you get to meet your heroes. Yeah. So the philosopher um, Diderot, I hope that's how you pronounce it, he needs to sell his library to provide for his daughter. So Catherine buys it, and she says, let's just leave it where it is, and she pays him a pension to care for her library at his house. Aww. He comes to Russia to say thank you to her. Um, so in May, in May of 1773, the 60-year-old Diderot traveled to Russia to meet her. Um, when her friend Voltaire dies, she purchases his library because they had a correspondence for over 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. She buys his um, library from his niece for 144,000 pounds. This would be a million euros today. Um, today, the library is still there. It's kept in the National Library of Russia in St. Petersburg. Part of her reasoning for doing this was not completely altruistic. She wanted to get back her personal letters to prevent them from falling into the wrong hands because they probably bounced ideas off one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? that and makes sense. She didn't want that getting out. She loved art. She collected art from all sorts of places all over. She would buy whole lots from artists. There's one story that this man who had like massive gambling debts and he sold his entire art collection to Russia, to Catherine. She built two annexes off the Winter Palace to accommodate it. It's called the Hermitage. And it's she has more art that she can ever see. At the time of her death, in 1796, the Hermitage had 80,000 works of art. There were crates that were never opened. Oh, my God. Uh -huh. Like, literally, she's never seen never it. Never seen it. Um, it's still a museum today. They have more than 3 million pieces, but they can only show 60,000 at a time. Catherine decided that Russia should have its own art, and so she created a school, the Academy of Fine Arts, in 1764. She had the students learning painting and sculpture. She had, um, even though the sensibilities at the time were very modest, she insisted that they learn anatomy and the human form. Um, she sent students out throughout Europe to copy the great works of art throughout Europe and had the display, the copies displayed in the school so the people could go up to it and look at it and touch it and study it. That's important. That's yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, in the middle of St. Petersburg, she built a little place called the Chinese Village. I don't know how or why. It's kind of random. It reminds me of Marie Antoinette and her little farm. Yeah. So she's got this Chinese Village. There's still 10 buildings that remain today. There was 19 originally built. And Vladimir Kamen, who is one of the wealthiest men in the world, not as wealthy as Putin, but he's up there. He actually lives in one of the little cottages. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Um, Catherine led a different life than most of the royals at the time. She woke up herself. She saw to her own fire. She got things organized for herself in the morning. She would wipe her face down with ice instead of beauty cream every day. Don't know why. Tighten the pores. Maybe. Yes. She had dogs. She, the habit of the dogs must have rubbed off on her a little bit from Peter. She had greyhounds. Two of her favorites, so call back. Two of her favorites were Zamir and Azur. She had their portraits painted. How adorable. Yes. She would officially start her day around 8 by coming downstairs, and that's when she would do her correspondence. The rest of the castle was kind of quiet. She would write to people in all different countries or different languages. She had a special box made with all these little, the things that you need to write, like the sand and the ink and the quills and all that, mm -hmm. made in miniature so that she could take it on the road with her when she had to travel. Oh, she had like a little travel box. Uh -huh. Cute. By 9 o'clock, people are up and things are moving around. That's when she starts receiving members of the government and talking to people. At noon, this struck me as weird. At noon, she goes and gets dressed and has her hair done. Now, this is a process. This takes hours in these days. Um, then she comes downstairs for the midday meal. She had very simple taste. She 
mostly had three dishes. Boiled beef with pickles was her favorite. Okay. Yep. They did not drink wine. They drank a currant syrup with water. So Ugh. current, another callback. Um, a current affair. Current affair. In the afternoon, she would retire to the lounge where she would receive courtiers and play cards or billiards. Um, they showed a table that she had a card table. It was one of those ones that you put the leg out and you flip it over. It's completely covered in mother of pearl. Wow. It's so beautiful. It looks like little fish scales the way they have it set. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, they, so she does other practical things like instead of when they move palaces, instead of moving the furniture from one palace to another and having things get broken or missing, she says, why don't we just put furniture in all the palaces? Yeah. How about we furnish everything? Yeah. We have all the monies. We have all the monies. So she, that was new for her or for the court. She would go to bed around 10 o'clock, but before bed each night, there would be a show. So on Mondays was French comedy. So there would be a French comedy show. Oh, hilarious. On Tuesdays, you would have a Russian comedy. On Wednesdays, you would see a tragedy. On Thursdays, you would see an opera. And Fridays was reserved for a ball. Because that was the start of the weekend. Yeah, it makes sense. Yes. She was very had a very elegant court, similar to Elizabeth. She wouldn't wear the same dress twice. She might change up to three times during a ball. That's a lot of work. It's a lot. Especially because that clothing is not easy to get no. into and out of. Um, but unlike Elizabeth, at the end of the year, she would have her dresses disassembled and made into curtains to replace the curtains. That's I bet palace. that's where... Um... Uh, What's-Her-Face got the idea on The Sound of Music. Oh, yeah! I was thinking Scarlet, but... Oh. Yeah, her too. Maria. How do you solve um, a problem like Maria? <laughs> she did have one dress made to look like the green military uniform to harken back to... Um, and have a portrait painted in it to harken back to when she dressed in the soldier's uniform. That's to cool. Take that, yeah. That's really cool. Um, she was very instrumental in changing the function of St. Petersburg. Peter the Great had built St. Petersburg and he built most everything out of wood. So there was a wall that held the river back and every year when the river would freeze, the wall would crack and fall apart. Yeah. So they had to replace it every year. So she says, why don't we just build it out of granite? Duh. Yeah. So they did, and it still is today. Um, whenever she would order a new castle or a new building to be built, she would demand that the um, contractor or the engineer make a completely two-scale model um, with interiors and exteriors shown so that she could see what it was going to be and change what she needed to change. One of the rooms that was completed, now this, I don't understand because I've heard so many things about this, but the famous Amber Room was in one of her palaces. It was construct completed in 1743. It was built in the Tarasco Cello Palace. Um, six tons of amber were used to create it. Oh my gosh. Amber, How do you even get that much? Right? It was given as, as presents. It was like um, diplomatic gifts. So amber was very precious. They... A fi they figured out that it was a resin, not a stone, like they thought. Um, the it started out to be a gift to the Russian Tsar from the King of Prussia, and then they just kept getting more and more. But now, because it is a resin, not a stone, it's te it's sensitive to temperature. Yes. And how do you heat a room in those days? Fire. Fire. So, Catherine decided that she would have a workshop built that would work daily to fix the damage that happened daily. It's She's still a little Sarah too. Winchester now. Kinda. Now, this Amber Room supposedly was stolen. I don't know if it was stolen by the Nazis. I've heard that it's missing. I've heard that it's found. I saw a picture of a lady who looked very modern standing in it, so it must have been found. I don't know. But anyway, um, in some of her castles, she would have private staircases built to or secret doors so that her favorites could come up and down the stairs to Again, visit her. Again, Sarah Winchester, but <laughs> without the spirits, with the men. With the men, um, in order to visit her. She's still going strong with... So if she picked a favorite, he would have to be examined by a doctor okay. to see if he was in good health. She would give him a test in culture and education to see if he could hold a conversation with her. 
Okay, she didn't judge that herself. She right. actually tested for it. Yes, she probably did the test herself. But then there was rumors that she would send the lady in waiting in to test the goods, so to speak. Oh. <laughs> that was a rumor, never proven. Um, at the age of 55, she started slowing down a little bit. She used a wheelchair to get around her palace, but she's still continuing with her young men. At the age of 55, she gets a new boy toy. His name is Lansoki, and he is 25. Oh, gosh. Yes. He, they, she acted like both a mother and a lover with him, but he, sadly he wasn't a very healthy man and he died at 26 and she was very distraught and sad by this. This was one of her last lovers. There is rumors of an office in the Tarasenko Cello Palace. The office did exist. The furniture was real. They have found some pieces of the furniture and they have found bills of sale and orders for having the furniture created. It has um carvings on it okay like sexy carvings oh because i'm like there's more to that story yeah supposedly it's carvings of actual body parts not couples doing things oh, okay. but actual and supposedly like that's the whole rumor thing like she had a chair that had a thingy on it like and, it was just carved into the wood probably right yes exactly it wasn't like something for her to sit on but you know how they do these rumors. Um, then there's the rumor of the horse. 100% untrue, ridiculous, um, jealous people who were incensed that a woman had all this power. I thought it's really interesting that, Hen you know, men can sleep with whoever they want and do whatever they want. Like, you know, Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was weird if a man didn't. But if a woman does, she's horrible. Well, like Lucretia Bord. Borgia? Lucretia Borgia. Yeah, yeah. I can't say it, but yeah. They have rumors that she slept with her brother just because mm -hmm. she was a woman that yeah. had a little bit of power. Yeah, it was horrible. Um, Catherine actually only had maybe 20-something lovers in her lifetime, and she lived to be in her 60s, so that's like two a year. Yeah, reasonable. No, not two a year. One every two years. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's completely reasonable. So her and Paul never got along. They just did not have a good relationship. He was raised by Elizabeth's servants until he was eight. He, when he was returned to Catherine, he was all excited for this loving reunion. But, you know, she's busy running an empire. Paul was also jealous of her lovers. He thought they got more attention than he did, which they may have. But she doesn't know Paul. And Catherine is also worried because here is... He's the rightful ruler of Russia. Any time somebody can say, hey, we're putting him on the throne and oust her. Yeah. So there's that. Um, she uses the ambiguity of his parentage to her own advantage. She never commits one way or the other, but it is said that he greatly resembled Peter in looks and temperament. Oh, interesting. She kept him completely out of government. He didn't learn how to do anything. Well, because Peter was an idiot. So. Yes. And so because Paul is not learning anything, he begins to, like, fantasize. And he completely idolizes his dad. His dad was the greatest thing ever. He starts playing with soldiers. He starts marching his servants around the castle. In Prussian uniforms? No, luckily they were in Russian. Oh. But Catherine decides, we got to do something about this. So she decides to get him married. A wife's going to whip him into shape. So she marries Paul off. And it did whip him into shape. He was really in love with his wife. He probably, she probably specifically picked the oh, woman. for sure. Yeah. But so they're absolutely in love. And sadly, she dies while giving birth to their first son. Aw. Well, their only son. Their only son, yes. <laughs> the baby dies too. Aw. And then he's going through her papers and her stuff. And he finds out that she was having an affair with his best friend. Oh, no. <laughs> So, poor Paul just keeps getting shot down and shot down and shot down. So, Catherine convinces him to marry again, and he does. His new wife is great. She's super supportive. She's helping him with his anxiety. They traveled and toured Europe. They were treated well. People in... Rulers in Europe that met with Paul started writing Catherine, talking about how wonderful he is, how his wife... Um, helps with his anxiety and he might actually be a decent ruler and this is great they become best friends with marie and louis oh marie gives the bride a special set of china made just for her that's cool yes so they come home and Catherine locks him out of meetings she says you can't help with government he says um can i have a job in the cabinet she says no you're not ready for that your trip has made you put on airs you think you're more important than you are. He says, can I fight in the army? She says, no, you're the heir. You might die. So he starts to get anxious and paranoid again. 
and there are rumors that he might be passed over for his own son, Alexander, who Catherine loves. So this is the end of Catherine's reign. She's starting to slow down. Some of her things that she did, she's kind of pulling back on. The Pachenkov Rebellion made her rethink giving rights to the serfs. The French Revolution made her rethink some of her Enlightenment ideas. She banned private printing presses. Ooh. She ordered all printed materials to be approved by a censorship office. She went hardcore. Yeah. She even stopped the print and publication of the books of the very Enlightenment thinkers that she had carried on correspondences with and that she read. So kind of went left turn there. She has a heart attack. Well, one source says she has a heart attack, but I've always heard she had a stroke. And she later dies from complications at the age of 67 on November 6th, 1796. Um... I do believe that I read when I was researching the toilet cocktail that she got, that her initial stroke was on the toilet, but that could have been rumors to, you know, make her sound awful too. Um, after her death, Paul ascends to the throne. The very first thing that he does is burn all of her papers because he's petrified that he, she wrote down that she was passing him over for Alexander. Oh yeah. Okay. So he gets rid of everything. Um, and then he undoes a lot of her different reforms and things he has his father's body dug up gives him a state imperial funeral does not give one to his mother and he buries his father right next to his mother they hated each other but now they're buried next to each other and he's an idiot and he's an idiot and he only gets to be ruler for four years until someone assassinates him ha 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 so that is the great very long story of Catherine, of Catherine the, the Great. Great. And I left shit out. Anyway, maybe we'll do a bonus one day with yeah, some extra. We could. That would be interesting and fun. So I'm going to take my novel and set it aside and listen to what you're going to tell me. Okay. And drink my drink. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about the Empress Cece Jewel Heist. Ooh. I should have got more ice. Do you want to get more ice? Yes. All right, we'll pause. story. <laughs> okay, you're back with ice. I'm back with so, ice. In 2007, the Canadian police were investigating a bank heist when they recovered an antique piece of jewelry that was made for Queen Elizabeth of Austria, better known as Empress Cece. Mm. The kosher diamond pearl, better known as the Star of Empress Cece, was found in a house in Winnipeg during a raid at the end of a two-year investigation of a string of bank robberies across Canada. The Star of Empress Cece was stolen in 1998 by a, quote, highly sophisticated thief <laughs> from an... It actually was. Okay. From an alarmed and secure glass case um, mm. on exhibit at the Castle Schoenbrunn in Vienna, Austria. Did they use the, like, glass cutter to make the circle? Practically. Really? They didn't, but practically. Wow. So the exhibit was in place to mark the centennial anniversary of Empress Cece's assassination, which is a whole other story. Mm. But anyway, Empress Cece was the wife of Emperor Franz Joseph I, mm-hmm. uh, Cece, and he was rena- she was renowned for her beauty and her ankle-length hair. She had a strict diet and exercise regime, and that was all to maintain her 20-inch waistline. And she also had a series of lovers. <laughs> I want to know what her diet and exercise regime was. It went into more detail. I just was, like, not focused on her, so I didn't do the whole thing. Okay, but, well, I want to know, so email me the link. <laughs> yeah. So she was stabbed in the heart at age 60. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was 61. Um, it was by an anarchist in Geneva, and her last words were reportedly... What happened to me? Oh, my. Mm-hmm. So that was in the late 1800s. Wow. So you know what is what I think is so fascinating and interesting is all of the things that Catherine and Peter and all this stuff that happened then set all of that up. I know. Because... All of the wars yeah, and the fighting Austria, set all that up. like Prussia, like uh-huh. all of that. So a man named Gerald Blanchard stole the star of Empress Cece stole the star of Empress Cece, and he was accompanied by his wife and father-in-law. Like, well, he didn't steal it with them. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they posed as tourists while Blanchard cased the Schloss Schoenbrunn, and that was also kind of like, it was a castle, kind of like the Austrian equivalent of Versailles. Oh, okay. But they had it as a museum? Yes. They had, like, exhibits there. So I guess it was something you could tour the whole thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But anyway, Blanchard's father-in-law was this wealthy guy and he was given VIP status so they got to see 
the um, Star of CC before it was on display to the public. Oh. It was in place. It just so hadn't it was, been displayed yet. So it was still in the... the Yes. Encasement that it's going to be in. Yes. It just hadn't been open to the public yet. Got it. So the Star of Empress Cece was in a cavernous room in an alarmed case behind bulletproof glass. And I love it, that word. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on a weight-sensitive pedestal. Wow. This is some James Bond stuff. Uh-huh. The star is a delicate but dazzling 10-point star of diamonds fanned around one giant monstrous pearl. Okay. So right after he saw it, Blanchard knew that he was going to try to take it. So as they were guided into the room, the docent began to talk about the history of the CC star. It was one of many similar pieces that were crafted specifically for Empress Elizabeth to be worn on her long and lovely braids. So she had like like maybe like a dozen of these Uh at one point. Oh, so they just, like, adorned her hair. It was, like, down, like, the side. Like, because she had a long braid, like, kind of like the girl in Frozen. Uh Uh-huh. So she wore it down? She didn't wear her hair up? No. Oh, interesting. Not in the picture that I saw. I have to look her up, too. Yeah. You did really cool people. I know. So by 1998, only two of the stars remained. Obviously, one of them was at the Schloss Schoenbrunn. Yeah. They probably cannibalized the jewels to make other things. Yeah. Because they did that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um... Especially with everything that went on with that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, while the docent was talking, Blanchard was noting the motion sensors in the corners of the rooms, the types of screws that were in the case, and that there were large windows nearby. I can totally see him standing there and just, like, moving his eyes around. Uh-huh. Blanchard also heard the docent say that the piece was worth about $2 million. That doesn't seem like that much money. No, but it's, I mean, significant. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Blanchard... Uh, during this tour, videotaped every detail of the room. He even recorded the no camera sign near the jewel case. <laughs> That's funny. And apparently he just kind of did it as like, like kind of an in your face kind of thing. Like we're getting the VIP tour. I'm going to video it yeah. even though it says I can't. <laughs> he also used a key that he had in his pocket to surreptitiously loosen the screws when the docent moved into the next room. Oh my gosh. And she's he, not paying attention. I know. And he unlocked the windows and noticed that the motion sensors would allow him to move very slowly around the castle if he, like, moved in the right way. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Uh, at the end of the tour, Blanchard stopped at the souvenir shop and he bought a replica of the Star of CC to get a feel for its size. He also took note of the armed guards stationed at all the entrances and also that they were patrolling the halls. Wow. He also noticed that the roof was not guarded, so he... Um, had a plan. Coincidentally, one of his criminal skills was skydiving. <laughs> he also had befriended a German pilot who would help him. Um, this guy was kind of like a mercenary type, and uh-huh. he was like, I'm going to make my entry through the roof. Wow. That's so funny that he has criminal skills to put on his criminal resume. I know. <laughs> so later, I think it's not that night. I think it's the next night, but it's at nighttime. He, um, within like, you know, that amount of time. Yeah. He made his skydive. He almost overshot the castle, but he slowed himself just enough to grab the railing of the edge of the roof. And then he took off his parachute, lowered himself down the side of the building. He entered the building through the window that was still unlocked. And he knew that there was a chance he might encounter armed guards, but he figured that the odds were good because it was such a large castle. Mm -hmm. So he climbed in and then thought... If he saw a guard, he could hide behind the big curtains because there was, like, you know, those giant, like, velour or velvet oh, curtains. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, he didn't, so... I want to see this television show. I know. So he approaches the display case, and he starts removing the loosened screws that he had already, you know, started on. Yeah. He used a butter knife to hold two long rods in place that would have triggered the alarm, and he replaced the real Star CC with the souvenir, which, you know, like the weight kind of thing like that's what i was gonna say do, like, uh, do they weigh the same because obviously that one would be paste yeah i mean i don't know it seems to me i was wondering the same thing i'm like they couldn't have weighed the exact same but maybe yeah. it wasn't like that sensitive maybe it just needed to have weight on it that could be so i don't know anyway within minutes he had the star he got crazy. out crazy yeah he got out of the castle and the next day was when the star was scheduled to make its debut to the public so Blanchard came back to see it. And <laughs> why? He just loved watching all the visitors gasp at how beautiful it was. Oh. And, um, you know, like he delighted in that. And then yeah. 
like later, this is like a couple days later, the parachute was found in the trash bin. Trash bin. Nobody really knew why it was there. Um, the star still had not been discovered to be missing. He didn't even take the parachute. No, he left it there. He is ballsy. I know. So later, um, it was like two weeks later before anyone realized that the real gem was missing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then Blanchard, you know, he's he li- he's from Canada. Uh-huh. So on his way back, he had to smuggle it. He can't just like carry it. So he... Look at my pretty piece of jewelry! I know. So he put it inside a respirator of scuba gear to smuggle it back to Canada. Uh-huh. They don't x-ray that? They probably did, but maybe it was just such an odd thing that... I mean, this is all, like, 1998. Oh, yeah. So even though I still feel like that's modern times, things are a lot more sophisticated well, now. Well, yeah. This little thing happened in 2001 that sort of changed everything. Yeah. So on January 23rd, 2007, at 4 a.m., more than a dozen SWAT team members served a search warrant on Blanchard's condo in Vancouver. They also simultaneously served half a dozen other search warrants around Canada, including Winnipeg. Blanchard was caught and arrested. That's when they discovered the star of Cece in Winnipeg. How did they get to him, though? Well, he um, was a suspect in a ring of all these like robberies that had happened across Canada. So they weren't even looking for the star of Cece. They found it, connected him to it, and that's But they how- had searched his house for something else. Yes. Crazy. Um, so he was charged with possession of the stolen gem as well as seven alleged accomplices. Oh, the accomplices and were charged with the robberies, not with the stolen gem. But um, overall, there was 101 charges of fraud, conspiracy, forging credit cards, and theft. Wow. Um, so his deal was after this bank robbery that he did in 2004 is when police in Canada launched the investigation that led to the search warrants. Oh, so this happened in 2004, and he stole the stone in 90-something. He stole stole the stone in 98. Um, after he got back to Canada, he did all kinds of more, like, robberies and frauds. In 2004, he fi- officially became a suspect, and in 2007, they served the search warrant where they arrested him and found the... Co- coincidentally found yeah. the star. Dude, it's been 10 years. Fence it and go live in Fiji or wherever yeah. you can buy a cheap house. Well, it didn't turn out too bad for him because he was convicted for the Canadian crimes. He received an eight-year sentence, but he was re- released after serving less than two years. He still lives in Canada under an assumed name. I saw the name somewhere, but then I couldn't find it again. Oh. And he um, makes his living as a security consultant. Okay, so I feel like there were a bunch of television shows and movies based on his I know, life. like, do you remember, was it Monk or Psych, where there was that jewel thief? Psych. Or art thief, yeah. He, I, he was played, he was Despero. Yeah, Despero. Despero's character's name. He was played by the same guy that played Wesley in The Princess Bride, which if you go back and listen to part one of this yeah, same we talked story, about. we talked about The Princess Bride. But yeah, so anyway, um, I got most of this from... Um, smh.com oh it was the sydney morning herald from oh. australia and wired.com but um, super fun i know as like i'm like okay i need to have a second story to you know bookend your story was yeah. ridiculous and i already had my first one marie empress and i'm like what can i do and you know i love heists yes. so i found this. this we can almost call it the heist podcast i love it yeah it's like history and heists <laughs> is like pretty much our podcast sort of yeah um i want to Hooch look- history and heists Hooch history and heists oh that could be a- do we trademarked a- trademark yeah trademark trademark um, I want to have child number one draw me some illustrations, and I'm going to clean up my story and publish it as a children's book. Oh, fun. <laughs> I'm not. But it's, you know, 28 printed pages at 14 point font. Mine was significantly less than that, but I knew yours was going to be voluminous. <laughs> it so was so long. I just, Everything about her, though, was awesome. I just found fun stories that I enjoyed. That was amazing. I want to look up Princess CC. And the other girl, too, the Empress. She's, she's kind of cool. Like, there's more on her for sure. And mm-hmm. then there's also more on Gerald Blanchard. But I was like, I need to mesh the two stories together that, like, where I'm not going off on either tangent because yes. I just wanted to stick to the jewel heist. Right. Well, I really like the Empress Jin. So there's nothing that says we cannot do another Empress Jin drink. That is true. And I could look into either one of these ladies. 
Yes, absolutely. Like, look into the ladies themselves. The ladies. Yeah. There's not a lot on Marie Empress, ah. although I'm not an expert. No, but after two gin drinks, I'm definitely a drunk. Definitely a drunk. <laughs> As always, you can contact us on Facebook at Crime and Time OTR. On Instagram, we are Crime and Time OTR. On Twitter, we're at Crime and Time OTR. And our email is crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. Email is where you, want to, where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions, things Topics. you want to learn about. Yeah. yeah. Or just say hi. Or just say hi. And we also have a new Patreon page Yay. if you want to buy us a drink. Buy us a drink. So that is patreon.com slash crimeandtimeotr. And we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons. Absolutely. I'm excited. See you there. Thank you for listening.